Welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast, which covers the latest in health and technology through interviews with disruptive health startups and leaders. So you are listening to one of our first 20 episodes. So first of all, thank you so much for listening. As you can imagine with the podcast, they get more and more popular, which ours certainly did after episode 20. So we started giving proper introductions, long introductions, and we upgraded our equipment and everything like that. So that's why you're hearing from me now, because we're putting this at the start of every one of those first 20 episodes. So I am your host. My name is James Someru. I'm an anesthetics and intensive care doctor by background. So I practiced for five years. I did loads of different jobs in policy and leadership within the UK NHS. I've run two different health tech accelerators to help startups grow, access different markets in the UK and abroad. And now I'm a co-founder of HS and we build, scale and invest in the best health tech startups. So if you want to get in touch with us, then head on over to the description of this podcast. In there, you will find all of the links to our social media, website, emails, etc. So click on those, follow us, let us know what you think of the podcast and feel free to suggest any guests. Hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Connect with us. Let us know what you think. Welcome to episode three of the HS podcast. Joining James and I today is Robert van der Zahn, who comes from a strong financial background, being the former CFO of Noble Group, um, a $90 billion turnover global commodity trader, which was listed on the Singapore Stock Exchange. He's now an angel investor in health tech, among other sectors, and sits on a number of boards as a non-exec director. Today, we are going to be talking about angel investing in health tech and also early stage company finances. Robert, great to have you on the podcast today. It'd be fantastic if you could tell us a little bit more about your own background and your journey. Thanks, Alex. A pleasure to be here. So, yeah, my, my journey has yeah. been a long one. I mean, I had a long career in, in big corporate, um, spent about, ah, must be close to 25 years going through all various roles in blue chip type companies, uh, mainly in the finance side, but also quite a lot in terms of business development and, and M&A. So I started off with, with, with about 17 years in, in Unilever. I went all around the world from Taiwan to Thailand to, to Singapore, and, and mainly finance roles, but although I spent about two years doing a bag carrier role for the chairman CEO of, of uh, Unilever. And uh, as, a, as a recompense for a, a job well done, he sent me to Russia for two years as, group, as CFO for the Russian operations at a time when the ruble went from seven to 28 and, and the whole bottom fell out of that business. And we spent then the, the following two years trying to rebuild that business from scratch at a time when Yeltsin was drinking himself to death and Putin was starting to come on the scene. So really, really interesting times. Honored honor to have been part of it. After, after Unilever, I went and worked with Shell. So I, I did uh, a lot of the, the uh, I was CFO effective for the refining business for a period of time in downstream. And then um, I did about four years as um, running their global M&A unit for downstream. So we did about $13 billion of disposals during that time and a bunch of joint ventures on the, on the retail side, which is all really, really interesting stuff. Um, and then I was... Uh, I went across to Houston with Shell to be CFO of the global gas and power trading business, which is a 
very, very different business uh, to um, to the rest of the downstream business. Then uh, I joined BHP Billiton, the CFO of their aluminium business. And this was a time they were trying to buy up Rio Tinto during the global financial crisis. And luckily for them, that didn't happen. But the intent had been all around iron ore. But uh, a spin-off would have been that this would have been the biggest aluminium business in the world. And they wanted somebody to come and integrate these businesses together and, and bring finance leadership to bear on that. So I did that for about a couple of years. The, the, the acquisition didn't go ahead clearly. And I then went across to a company called Noble Group. And um, I was, uh, there was a Hong Kong-based, Singapore-listed global commodity trader. Uh, it had about $90 billion of turnover. We had 100 bank, banks and $18 billion of financing lines. So really, really big, high-profile stuff. Did that for about five years and then actually was actually quite tired with the, the whole executive world and, and, I, and I needed a change. I wanted a change. Uh, came back to the UK with my family and, uh, and then said, well, let's, let's challenge myself and, and, and recreate myself in the sense of uh, going completely to the other end of the spectrum. So I, I was thinking about startups. I was thinking about, you know, micro cap and, and that sort of thing. And how, how, how could I bring all that experience of, 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 of all those different countries, cultures and business issues and business problems to bear on, on, uh, on something which I felt was maybe slightly more relevant and socially nicer to work with rather than, you know, big oil or, or mining, which, you know, when I talk to my daughters about that sort of thing, they, they throw out their eyes and, and uh, think, how could you be such a, a demon? So um, getting involved with startups and progressively getting more involved on, on, the, on the health side of things uh, ticks all those boxes. And, um, and I, I've really enjoyed it. And remind me again, what was your original undergrad degree? What would you study in? So I got a first in chemistry, actually, from, from Oxford. Went to Magdalen College in, back in, nine, in, the 80, in the 1980s, years and years ago. Um, and then never really used it again. So, uh, I mean, it's been an interesting <laughs> degree to have, but um, I've never really used it uh, from, a, from, a personal, from a business perspective. And, and obviously at HS, one of the things that we do is we, we get the best talent on the planet working on healthcare's biggest problems. And one of the ways we do that is, is outreach to universities and to enterprise departments and data science degrees. What was the tech scene like around Oxbridge when you were studying chemistry? That's a good question. We were talking about Big Bang. That was, uh, that was, that was how far back it goes. I mean, the idea of this massive re revitalization of the financial industry through, you know, trying to break down a lot of the, the, the barriers that had been there. But, you know, it was, it was, tech really hadn't sort of raised its head at that point. I mean, when I started with, um, with, with Unilever, I mean, that was, you know, after my grad days, they were talking about CC mail. I mean, they're just bringing out um, <laughs> in, in, uh, just, uh, in, in, in internet and, uh, and, and basic uh, email communication. So that's, uh, that's, that's how different the world was. I mean, then it was all about becoming a management consultant or an investment banker. That was the, the big things to go for at that time. Back when you were studying, was it much more you would go into a stable sort of corporate position? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was very, very different. I mean, there people would be aspiring to, you know, join the Unilevers. I mean, I, I you know, they were great companies. And I know they still are good companies. I, I wouldn't say they're great companies anymore, but they're good companies. And and that's what people would do. And, and it was still almost in, in this program where, you know, you join a company, and you're going to spend 20, 20 years, 30 years with this company. Not that there was a contract for life, but it, re it wasn't the case that people you had 
the, the same amount of job hopping that happens now or people basically just designing their own careers you, you were you would join an organization like this and they would they would start covering you with cotton wool and making sure that you know if they wanted you and liked you that they would that they would make a a, a, a career and only later on did that start changing where you started really having to you know take more ownership for your own career within a multinational even so that that was quite a change i mean the the startup scene I think was quite quite basic at that point. I mean, clearly you, you had entrepreneurs who did stuff and, and made things happen, uh, but there was nowhere near the the um, the infrastructure and support that the startup industry has got now. You mentioned Russia and Houston and Texas as places that you've worked before. Now, HS, we've obviously got a, a good relationship with TMC, which is the Texas Medical Center and that innovation structure that they've got out there. And I was out in Russia on a sort of NHS trade mission. When you were out there working, what were your sort of, did you see much of sort of the healthcare systems or healthcare infrastructure? Well, Russia was really sort of 1998, 99 and the amount of poverty there. That, so you wouldn't have seen anything. Everything in Russia has happened since that time. Houston was probably, uh, well, it was also a, a difficult time with the global financial crisis, but there you did clearly have a lot of the tech scene starting to to, to spring up and, and, and being uh, uh, developing around campuses, etc. So I, I saw quite a bit on the tech scene when I was in Houston, but uh, nothing when I was in Russia. Yeah, because again, I mean, that, that's one of the things that we sort of really recommend to uh, any of the company that we see, which is look at all the different types of healthcare system uh, globally. So not just in the countries where, where they may have come out of or, or if that's looking to solve a problem in their own country, does it really extend and does it scale into other healthcare systems? Because healthcare systems are obviously so varied regarding the, the healthcare providers and insurers and other sort of deal makers and pay structures that operate around them. And then obviously sort of coming back to now, so when you came back to the UK, um, we're, we're beginning to look at getting involved with health-related technology and tech for good. What what was your sort of how was your process how how did you sort of think okay this is something I want to get into because we 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 may well have a number of people who are, are looking at maybe diversifying their angel investing portfolio or, or just getting into angel investing and come from a background similar to yourself which wasn't isn't health or health tech related what was sort of yeah. some of the, the the barriers around I suppose either knowledge or, or just sort of access to the companies as well. Yeah, yeah. So, well, it was a, it was a journey. Um, where while I was working, I mean, I was, I've always been, I've always, I've always been investing one way or another, and, and I'd sort of, sort of class myself as quite a sort of sophisticated investor in terms of, you know, in terms of the sort of products I was investing in on on the markets, etc. And uh, and I was always quite active in that. But what I what I enjoyed was more the private equity side of things, in sense of you know being able to in, invest your money in in in, in a smaller company and 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 then join the board or or uh, or, or provide um advising assistance and, and and so stay close to your investment but also rather than just sort of blindly invest on the stock market or whatever by by doing that you actually feel that you're closer to your investment and you can help you can help guide it so that was that was always part of my model even while I was while I was working so I had one or two little uh, investments and I was on the board of a few companies um and my mental model was always when I'd retire, I'd love to do more, a lot more of this and, and build up a portfolio of companies and and and, and try and uh, try and make that uh, the, the next career. And, and when when I left Noble, I felt well, this is just a great opportunity now to to see and how far I could put that in motion. It is a different play, and you have to. And, and there's certain risks involved in terms of making that transition because you know if you're used to working in big corporate and suddenly you know you, you're going into sort of the startup world. I mean, startup 
startup world is all about networks. It's all about who you know and 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 how to get things done. And and that's 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 not necessarily the world where I came from in terms of where you never really needed the network. I mean, you were working for a big global company like Noble or or Shell or Unilever, and and people would always come to you. You never really have to go to them. So that was probably one of the biggest hurdles I faced when I when I left in terms of well, how do you get involved in this play in this scene? How do you find the right things to invest in? Um, and, and then how do you make yourself relevant in, in that, that space? I mean, clearly, I had a huge amount of finance background and I've, I've, I've probably gone through one way or another almost any, any sort of finance issue or, or problem that you can imagine. I've, I've done, done it one way or another throughout my career. Um, so, so clearly, I had a, had a massive wealth set in terms of knowledge and, and experience to bring. But still, you know, how, how, do you find, how do you find those startups in the first place? It's a similar journey to, I suppose, you know, James and I coming out of healthcare. So we we had the situation where we knew some of the problems, we knew some of the uh, problems the companies were facing, but we didn't have the ecosystem where companies would would go to find investors. And I think that's still one of the big problems and, and why we sort of started HS to bring all these players together. Well, um, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think that's a great uh, great way to 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 make it clear because I mean, I look at a lot of the cohorts that HS has got, I mean, they're fantastic people with great ideas, but, you know, they, they've got training and, and backgrounds and something which is, you know, uh, di- almost diametrically opposite to entrepreneurship. Um, I mean, sort of getting educated in the NHS as a doctor doesn't really bring you very close to, you know, how do you want to start a company and, and, and getting in from, you know, so, so you're making that journey and then suddenly you find out, well, how do I need to set up a company? How do I need to, or what, what, what the hell is an accountant and how do I find one or, or even, even finding the right lawyer? And, and therefore, things like HS and, and, and incubators and are you providing that ecosystem and, and 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 more of a structured program is just absolutely invaluable, and I, and I just uh, uh, it's just been a, a, a delight working with uh, with some of the um, the cohort in terms of developing a lot of this stuff. I'd quite like to talk about that, there, Robert. So obviously, you, you invest in Q Doctor, who are one of our one of our cohorts. So do you want to just talk us through, like maybe the first time you met Chris, yeah, what you saw in him, what you sure. saw in the idea, and just you know we can we can sort of talk about. Um, you know what what you look for in people like that when they come to to you or other angel investors really well like like i say this was part of that networking journey i mean i i knew i knew chris um uh, more from um his his wife's side so you could sort of say i'm sort of friends and family type investor in it and so uh, i i came came from this from from that perspective and uh, I, I'd been working on a number of other startups. When I heard about Chris and Q Doctor, which is really all about bringing a video doctor consulting service to your to your laptop, it was a lot more than that. But in two seconds, that's what that's what it was all about. I was really intrigued to to learn more. Uh, so when I, I so I, I spent some time with Chris and and, and asked him to to pitch it to me, and then uh, I, I, I grilled him on the on 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 the revenue model and how how that all stacked up and what the market size was and and challenged them around. How did he do in that first interview? He was actually, I mean, he'd already gone through a number of pitches and this was his <laughs> sort of second race. So, you know, he was he was, he was already remarkably savvy and, and you learn extremely quickly, you know, if, you, if you're thrown into the deep end and, and basically, you know, it's up to you now. There's nobody else to rely on. You've got to do it yourself. So you did really well. And what were you looking for in him before or in anybody that, that comes to you for investment? What are you actually looking for in them when they deliver that very first pitch to you? It's all about the person. Um, so yeah, I'm, 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 if I'm not comfortable 
with the person it doesn't matter how how good they they give the message then then uh, then, then uh, you know i don't take it any further and it's, it starts off with values and 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 how you know what the value set of that person is and how it aligns with mine because i i don't want to invest in anything and be involved with anything where actually it's not going to be a bit of fun in the process and yeah and you, you, you know you like the person and you want to work with the person so that that's a starting point um then very quickly you know it's it's about does this person have the credibility uh, to be able to carry this off because I mean you can imagine there are a lot of doctors who are really really good doctors but you, you're not necessarily uh, make a very good entrepreneur and to be a good entrepreneur it's not just a matter of rolling up your sleeves and getting stuff done you've got there's got to be a certain commerciality uh, and and will to and want to succeed and 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 you can feel that in a person quite quickly so it's it's how well they're across their subject it's about how how driven and passionate they are about giving the message um, and 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 these and these people they're, they're they're leading their project. They are the leader, and therefore, if they don't come across as the leader, and they haven't got that self confidence and 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 ambition to succeed, then you very quickly see it. That's really interesting. So, yeah, I mean, what I like there is is obviously you know the advantage that we have in healthcare is that we probably do solve quite a lot of very personal problems to people particularly those angel investors and so you know you describing it as, as very much that kind of personal motivation to help solve a problem that you feel in day-to-day -day life is an advantage that we all have in this space and i think that is definitely something that you know for all the health tech startups listening you know it's it's really good to, to pull on those strings really i, I think that's really and, and it's so relevant i mean there are so many issues and it's affecting people's lives uh and if you can get that passion across uh, i think it's uh, uh you know it's half the argument i think yeah, I think leadership's an interesting one as well. You don't often hear that. Any, well, I certainly don't within within you know the qualities that that people look for. You often hear about um, you know the diversity of, of skill sets and complementary skills. And and I know Chris being a domain expert with his NHS background and looking for co-founders. But yeah, it's interesting that that you know from an angel perspective, you know you are looking for that individual quality of leadership. Well, um, well, I think I mean if you think about what what someone like Chris has got to deal with. I mean, you're talking about a whole bunch of skills, which is not in your particular skill set. So you're probably going to have to rely on on people and, and be able to motivate people to deliver those things for you. Uh, if not straight away, then certainly, you know, once you start scaling the business. And and, and if if you're there and you and you can't motivate and you can't lead, uh, then it's very, very difficult to tap into those skills and or successfully tap into those skills. Um, and you know, I, I mean, but I think there are also people there who, you know, you, you can see that if they're the, the aggression and 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 ruthlessness or whatever gets you so far, it's not particularly a skill, a a, a leadership trait that I particularly value highly. Mm. Um, but you know, you can get things done that way. But uh, I, I, I'm, I'm much more interested in terms of how how can you uh, motivate people sort of positively. I think, I think it's a. It, you know, it's a really interesting point about the, the values that an angel brings, actually, just as a form of capital, because I think in what I've heard in, in your answers to these questions is a real kind of personal relationship, not only development, but mentorship and things like that. You know, you might not necessarily get something like that with with VC investment or the more institutionalized cash from, from corporate VC or anything like that. You know, you, you've got a real interest in joining the board. You've got a real interest in developing the entrepreneur not only finding out they've got those skills but also helping them developing creators so yeah it, it seems it seems really interesting that um you know those are often advantages that come with those angels that, that know what they're doing in the space 
Yeah, but that thing really only works if the entrepreneur is open and humble enough to take advice. And and so, you know, I see I do see that as a as something which is really, really important because if I join a board and I'm not listened to, then not only am I going to get pissed off or whatever, or, 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 or de- yeah. you know, asking, well, why, why am I doing it? So, but, uh, but at the same time, I think that, you know, as a, as an entrepreneur, you can't assume that you know everything and, and, and you've got to be humble enough to take, uh, or at least listen and, and evaluate what you hear. That doesn't mean mm. you blindly take it, but you've got to at least evaluate it. So beyond the team then, what kind of things do you look for in the rest of that health tech startup are you do you pay particular attention to the sorts of technology or the sort of clinical area or anything like that yeah so my 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 investing background in terms of startups has, has been very diverse i've gone from robo consulting to to finreg <laughs> and i'm involved with ico and but what i found in in all of this was that you know there's very little commonality between these things from a, a network perspective so if you really want to uh, you know, do fundraising, or if you want to uh, understand the market, or you, then all the, if these markets are also different, then you then you don't get any any synergy. You don't get any uh, uh, ability to leverage. So uh, it, that that sort of led me, and really, Chris's QDoc was the first sort of med tech or health tech, if you want, investment that that I'd done, and 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 it felt really well in 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 the in the social relevance category, which I think is also important to, important to me personally. And so I said, well, you know what, I, I want to I want to focus more in this space. And um, the chairman of of Q Doctor was Paul Godin, who who was also in the process of doing his care room startup uh and i mean this was the nhs airbnb type model really interesting thing and and and, uh, and that sort of led me to saying well let, 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 let's join that as well and and, and I, so I was invested in that joined the board and we've been developing that franchise as well and and there's a lot of similarities in it and then later with um uh, with with alex i joined joined him on on, on verti and and there are a number of other things bubbling along in, in in the health tech space but there's there's a there's a lot more you can do if you if you if you focus uh on on a on a sector and i think this is the most worthy sector i think healthcare is just so important so what, what would you what would you be your biggest advice then for startups approaching angels to get that initial bit of capital uh so i think what i mean i'm just also looking at what you guys are doing in terms of hs and the incubator and um, and, and the things you're focusing on, I think you, you're spot on in terms of, you know, really helping helping the guys get the self-confidence to be able to really articulate what their value proposition is and, and developing that pitch deck, really making it uh, really making it powerful. Um, and, and, and clearly, you're not going to you're not bringing them on onto the platform unless th- that idea has has legs, and, and and that they as as entrepreneurs have the ability to deliver it. So, so I think that's 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 really that's that's important. And then you've got all the stuff around it in terms of how do you then professionalize the offering to the venture capital or to the angels uh, by you know having a very professional. Uh, data room having a professional financial model having a professional cap table all that sort of stuff which you think well you know it it sounds very financy sounds very uh uh difficult and complicated but actually it, it's not but uh, if you do a good job on those things it just adds to the confidence of the angel in terms of that you know that everything's being thought of and that uh, the risk management side of the business is also being well managed
yeah i completely agree actually you know we even see that through our applications you know some some people that apply to us will you know they'll do the bare minimum um and they'll apply to us with the usual application form and things like that other people will be you know particularly entrepreneurial about it and they'll send in videos of them pitching they'll send through all their recent press they'll send through you know as you say a pitch deck they'll offer their cap table they might offer a link to their data room you know if they start emailing through you know outside of the application portal and saying things like that completely agree it just adds to that credibility that you know they might have been around around the houses before and done this before and may have failed may have been successful or you know you can make certain inferences about the quality of the founders and that attention to detail that we often talk about yeah um, hs with our founders so yeah i totally agree i mean as an angel if, if i if i'm sort of listening and and, and where i'm being approached and you know I, I generally want at least first see the pitch deck and then, and I don't really want necessarily want it pitched to me. I mean, I, I, yeah. I want to be able to in, in, in 10, in, in 10 minutes or five minutes, just so you be able to flick through a pitch deck, really understand what it's about from, from those five, five to 10 pages or whatever. Uh, and then, you know, when, when I meet the, um, the entrepreneur, I, I don't particularly want to be led through a pitch deck. I mean, I, I want to hear it from his mouth or her mouth, what what it's all about. And it's got to come across with the enthusiasm and passion of uh, what they're trying to achieve. So, mm. you know, it's, it's not it's not I don't want things to be formulaic. I don't want things to be uh, too too pre-rehearsed in the sense. I mean, they've got to feel natural enough in what they're doing uh, for, for that to really to come across well. Yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, the other interesting thing for startups, and again, some people listening to this podcast might be, you know, very, very early on their journey indeed. Um, so when we're sort of talking about angel investment, obviously, you can range money from friends and family, as Robert alluded to earlier, then looking at the external angels, um, then potentially venture capitalists, family offices, corporate venture capitalists, uh, getting all the way up to, to sort of larger pension funds or private equity companies. Um, but just, you know, this this conversation and podcast is focusing around the angel side of things. So so flipping things back, I suppose, for the entrepreneurs to understand why would somebody um, in, you know, invest in, a, in an early stage startup? And, and Robert's alluded to a number of things such as fun and uh, the fact that you can have hands on experience with the companies. But from a you know, financial point of view as well, there's obviously the, the tax benefits in, in the UK, the US and internationally. Be good to get your sort of opinion and thoughts around that, um, because I think it's important for the startups when they're asking for, for angel money, what's an appropriate figure to ask for within that remit? Yeah, so funny enough, I, I was having a discussion with one of your cohort members earlier today, and they wanted some advice around the financial model. And I was going through critiquing their pitch deck and, and sort of saying, if you really want to make, if, if, you're, if you're really focusing on, on, on the angel investment level, then uh, it's, it's really important that, that you've, you've gone through uh, the hurdles around, you know, getting your 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 uh, HMRC uh, letter of, letter of assurance around um, uh, SEIS or EIS tax tax breaks. Because I mean, if if, if the entrepreneurs ha- don't understand what what SEIS or EIS is, uh, they, they should they should they should uh, research it because uh, these are such attractive tax breaks to investors whereby you know you invest 100 in a company if you're doing it under an SES, SEIS round you're getting 50 back uh, in, in, against your your income tax bill so really really tax effective and then if, if, if the investment goes barely up for you know in the worst case um, then then you're also getting tax deductibility on, on, on that investment so that at the end of the day <laughs> an investment of 100 has a has a worst case of uh, a worst case cost of 25 only so uh, that gives you a little bit of a sense in terms of how valuable these these tax breaks are so understanding that and 
and making sure that your value proposition is ready for that. I think it's really important for the angel investor side of things. A lot of angels won't even consider an investment if it hasn't got EIS or SEIS. Um, um, so, so I think that that's that's one thing. And I think if if, if I'm looking at a um, at a valuation of a company, I mean, valuation. There's no there's no science to valuation. People try to people try and put uh, you know. Uh, parameters around it venture capital especially will try and tell you well this is how it's done because clearly they would wouldn't they because they'll they'll argue it in their favor but you know valuation is an art form and um uh, and you know there are going to be investors out there who who are willing to pay a lot more than than other investors it's and it's, it's up to you to find how, how can you find find the highest paying investors and that that's a function of who you know and uh, and what networks you're part of um, but to, to, to some degree, you've got to be, I mean, it, it, it depends how much time and how much effort you really want to put in fundraising. If, if you've got all the time in the world and you've got, you got download of uh, uh, energy to do it, then, then clearly, you know, you can probably eke out a higher valuation than you would otherwise. But otherwise, uh, what, what I generally find is that if you, you, you don't go into an angel investor and immediately tell him what, what the valuation is, because either you'll turn him on or off straight away. So you, you generally want to make sure that he, you know, get, get, in, get into the door first by, by, by the concept itself because of the relevance of what it is and, and get him interested in the value proposition and then let him ask you, you know, what the valuation is. And even at that point, you may know, not know exactly what you want uh, for evaluation on that company. So you may say, well, you know, it's, it's very early stage. I, I may be valuing it. It may be a million or maybe two million pre-money or whatever it is. It, it all depends on on the investor interest that I create. And, and you go through a process of trying to build up a book of interest. And 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 once, you know, if you've got the time and, and time to be able to do that, then then you can you can price the round once once you're clear in terms of what the level of interest in it is. Because um, I found a lot of cases that if you come in with a, Evaluation, and you put it in your pitch deck, and you know people will will look at it, and they'll ask far too. They'll never understand the concept until until you've talked them through it, and they've 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 uh, they've they've, uh, they've worked it through in their own head. Um, so seeing something in a in a deck will only at, at best will 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 turn them off. It won't have any uh, any any better impact. So sometimes it's best just to be a little bit uh, vague on valuation in the first place. I, I think as well with all these things that it's very it's very much you know we always say that it's it's a conversation that you have with the other person so you should come to a, a mutual understanding that's that's beneficial for both parties that incentivizes both parties um uh interestingly i've i've just been given um a book uh from peter cowley who's the um uh, chairman of the cambridge um angels association um in in the uk so he's just produced a book called the invested investor which talks about his own angel journey um, and, and the reason it's called the invested investor is because he is very much sort of hands-on. So he's not someone who would just put some money in um, and, and then that would be it. He wants to get to know the founders and wants to work with them um, over a long period of time, essentially. Um, and I think that's the other thing that's worth saying is that you've uh, a lot of these things are sort of connections, networking, and either being introduced by friends and family to angel investors um, or being in introduced by other companies so warm intros um obviously is is one of the best ways to to uh, meet an investor because you will know from that third party the introductor um that 
you uh, the, the the person that's being introduced is is reliable and is vetted um and has been helpful to the, the person introducing you um and then the other way is to to look at angel groups um such as band of angels in silicon valley which is the the oldest angel group in the world and often they will essentially have uh, a collection of of angel investors all who, who invest at different quantities and quantums um of of money and then they will get together look at a pitch deck, see if they want to see a presentation, book you in for a presentation. At some point, there's a there's a free meal um, if you get that far, which is probably the best bit and the number one reason to apply to it. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. <laughs> um, and then, um, you know, you get a, a group of people putting in some money at, at an angel investment level, anything from probably, you know, in the UK, £25,000 upwards to uh, £200,000 um, in the US, probably a little bit more. So that will actually form part of your seed round uh, beyond your, your angel round as well. From from your side of things, Robert, how how sort of pe- people sort of reached out, out to you? And, and um, if you're a you know, startup or indeed an angel investor, what's the best way to sort of try and connect with people? So I think something like an HS is, 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 is awesome in that respect because it forms a community of like-minded startups to, you know, to come together and, and, and share their problems and share their issues. And with, with you and, and, and James also effectively providing that glue between them, um, you, know, you can introduce them and, 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 and to, to that whole uh, ecosystem of, 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 on, on the funding side. Um, I mean, it's, it, as you say, I mean, you, you, as a, uh, the, the access to angels and access to the right VC is, is really important. I mean, there are good VCs, there are bad VCs, there are many bad VCs. Um, and, 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 and knowing the ones and, and uh, who are able to get deals done at, at you know, at, at uh, good valuations, I think is important. Um, but I think that credibility angle and um, in terms of the, the soft introductions, that, which you mentioned earlier, I think it's really, really in, important because, as you say, if you're thinking about if, what, how many deals, I mean, I probably see oof, at least what, a couple of deals a week one way or another. Uh, and and, and if, if I'm lucky, I, I may invest in one or two maybe three deals in a year so you're highly selective and you don't want to spend hours and hours and hours researching stuff so if if you can um get get a, a deck from somebody who's you know who, who's been passed on from somebody who's 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 been successful in this space or is a really successful angel investor then clearly you're going to read it with a lot more interest and and and, and thoughtfulness than if uh, if it just comes as a cold call i mean i don't know how many linkedin requests i get for this that and the other and and it's just delete 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 i just don't have time um, so it's a very inefficient process doing a cold call, and it's much better trying to invest time and effort, and and and, and even joining things like uh, HS dots, such that you get access to their networks, uh, because then suddenly you know if you're accepted on on the platform uh, like HS, then clearly uh, you know that you're, you're doing something right. From I suppose the entrepreneur side of things, getting actual access to high quality angel investors like yourself is is really really difficult. So you may only find people sort of appropriate to the sector that your company is working in at a, a very late stage. Uh, but if you can get someone at, at an early stage who's advising you um, around the direction of the company, so if you've got an ed tech company and you've got someone who has scaled uh, an enormous um, education company 
and, and exited that and, and then is looking to invest, clearly they're going to be a really, really good angel investor for you. Similarly, with, with your background um, around finance, often you know, early stage companies and entrepreneurs don't have a, a particularly developed you know, financial brain. So again, that's a really good addition, not just with money coming in, but but actually as a uh, an advisor on the board. I mean, I, Alex, I'm just on that point. I think you've 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 hit on a really important point because I think so many startups try and stay so mean and lean that they that they that they end up curtailing their own growth perspective because that they're not they're, they're not uh, sort of investing in the in in the right. Uh, advice, if you like, uh, early enough, and and I mean, you've seen my model uh, in terms of how you know, as as an angel investor, if you, if you if you can, if you have investors who are interested in somehow uh, propagating and helping steer and helping um, develop a company, um, you know that that's not passive money. That's 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 active money. I mean, that's something that everyone should look for because you know just having passive investors actually doesn't really help you that. That much other than just giving you a bit of money to, to to fund your company if you can on top of that have people who are looking out for you and and creating contacts and helping you know strategic development of the business and and, and giving you their skill sets that's actually really really valuable um i've seen too many startups who haven't really given enough thought to well what is the level of advice be it industry knowledge be it industry network access be it uh, finance be it uh, just general strategy whatever um if, if you if if you haven't got that around you then then you know you're you're, you're not debating this stuff you're not challenging yourself in in in, in the wider sense uh, and you're leaving a big value lever un, 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 uh, unpulled well, that's it. And I, I don't think anyone expects, um, uh, you know, startup early stage founders uh, at any stage to have all the answers. And even as your company grows, you should be putting people in key roles who who are smarter than you and know more than you. And certainly, um, I, you know, as I guess in my roles in my previous companies, I've tried to get people um, circulating around the company in either advisory roles or in higher positions. So that, you know, when you get to year three, four, five, you're probably the, the dumbest person in your own company um, because you're constantly you'll constantly be learning off of people who've done more than you and, and who are smarter than you. So I think that that element of learning is always going to be there, regardless of what stage your company is at. And at the early stage, it can really, really make the difference between you surviving the early stages of your startup um, and, and failing, really. Well, well, maybe, Alex, maybe I'll ask you a question. I mean, in the sense that you've seen it at work in Verti with, with myself and Jonathan Sakia uh, on your board. I mean, what, what do you see? What do you as the entrepreneur see? As as the real benefits there, and 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 you can tell me it's not worthwhile or whatever. <laughs> That's brutal brutal feedback, but it's just some, I think a good bit of uh, sort of evidence based stuff for 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 the listeners. Yeah, and no, absolutely. So, um, so just to give a bit of background. I mean, I think we'll probably talk about this on a, another podcast. But um, so my uh, other sort of current company is a virtual and augmented reality company that also uses AI to um, improve physician training and also do patient education to reduce medical error. And essentially, when I was starting that, um, I'd self-funded it from um, one of my previous companies, and we'd been through Accelerator based out in Silicon Valley. And then what we were really looking for was was sort of gaps in our own operations and how we could sort of improve and scale and was introduced to um, uh, Robert um, and um, Prof Jonathan Sakia uh, through sort of a mutual acquaintance uh, and, it, and it happened that you know on, on sort of paper 
um you obviously sort of fitted those roles perfectly for what we were doing and then um it became very apparent just from um, a couple of quick conversations um, and from working together over a short period of time that we could indeed all get on and there was going to be a significant amount of value. And what we did was, uh, you know, we, we sort of worked together and, and looked at doing some advisory and um, uh, sort of strategy sessions before, you know, any sort of money or anything like that changed hands or before we looked at the the cap table or anything. So, we, you know, we both had a good feel for what it was going to be like going forward. And then I think at that point, it was just a bit of certainly from, from my point of view, it's just a no brainer um, that the value add was was going to be there regardless of any sort of investment. And I mean, I, I think from the, 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 the relationship side of things, I think it's really important to be in, in regular contact with with people you're bringing on in an advisory role or an angel role. Um, so Robert and I obviously sort of um, text and, and have a back and forth um, via via catch up phone calls and we do a strategy meeting. Jonathan's based out in the US. Um, so we make sure that that all works and everyone is is essentially updated and, and working on key um, problems or issues around the business, um, which I think sort of the, the, the approach that we've taken that's worked very, very well. Um, and again, it just goes back to being that sort of, I guess, invested angel investor um, as, as you are um, from our side of things. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think what, what works well is where you do have that regular dialogue and you do feel as an investor or as an advisor that you're close enough to things that it, that you know you're up to date and, and and your knowledge base is relevant because then also the more you feel part of that journey i mean you know you, you say you're going to work one day a month or whatever it is you end up working two or three days a month and and so you know you get a lot more leverage out of the person but also whatever he's doing is going to be a lot more applied and a lot more relevant because he, he can he, he or she can apply it in a in a much more directed way so um, it does require a bit of investment uh, in terms of time and effort. Um, and, and the better you do that job, I think, uh, the better that that uh, relationship works. I think just kind of to, to summarise back, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about sort of that very early stage investment. As I mentioned, we'll, we'll likely do a whole episode on the entire fundraising process for both startups and for, uh, for investors themselves around how they should be looking at and picking some of the uh, you know, emerging technologies and health tech. But I think going back to basics and, and the underlying message of, of everything we've talked about here is is really looking at looking at the team and diving deeper into that, looking at just what the the individual people are going to be like to work with. Can they deliver this vision that they they have got, um, and can you work with these people? Um, and then the the way to sort of go about in, ensuring that that is the case is is doing sort of a, a little trial process where initially you bring on a, an advisor um perhaps in an unpaid role or just over a few months of working with someone before anything further is locked down um and and even you know around the, the finances say again we'll, we'll probably deep dive into sort of cap tables and, and valuations and and all that sort of stuff on a, a much less interesting podcast at some point but um, <laughs> I, I think you know the, the the basic premise is that um a lot of early stage companies it's going to be incredibly difficult to to predict what their you know their their cash flow is going to be like, what their valuation is going to be like. So as Robert said right at the beginning, it's not a precise science, and it's a conversation, and it's about you as a as a, an entrepreneur or you as an angel investor communicating effectively with the other person and, and coming to a, a an agreement on on what you perceive that value to be. Um, uh, I think Robert, any sort of last comments around that? 
No, I think you sum, summarised it nicely, Alex. I think uh, you know it's all about it's all about people at the end of the day, and you get the people side things right. I think you've got about uh, you know at least half of the um, half the half the battle's been won. As HS, what we're doing is bringing together all um, angel investors in the health tech space uh, in the UK, Europe, and internationally, and helping them to understand what makes a good investment in the healthcare space, giving them access to deal flow around startups. So, if you are an angel investor or thinking about investing in health tech or diversifying uh, your investments into health tech, we'd be very happy to um, hear from you. Equally, if you're a startup looking for angel investment, we uh, can also connect you to angel investors and provide you with help and support around that and around your fundraise. So, guys, thank you so much for uh, being on the show today. And um, we'll probably bring Robert back uh, for those who want to hear a little bit more when we do the uh, the podcast around fundraising as a whole and how you should structure your time and, and how to connect with investors.